0: You're listening to a podcast from St Bart's. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbart's.com.au. Well, uh, let me, as the equipment comes, say uh, what a pleasure and privilege it's been to be part of your weekend away. Thank you for having me and inviting me and supplying me with fully functioning equipment. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) Uh, If you've got your Bible, we are in Psalm 96. Psalm 96. As we come to God's word, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glory of this day. Uh, We praise you for the wonder and beauty that your creation witnesses to. And we thank you for the clarity and encouragement that comes to us from your word. Please open our hearts and our minds this morning that we might behold wonderful things in your word. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to our final session in the Psalms this weekend. We've had an introduction to God and his son, an introduction to God and each of us, and this morning, an introduction to God and his world, an introduction to God and his world. Uh, In each talk, we've focused in on a particular psalmist uh, as a way of introducing some of the big themes of the entire book of the Psalms. And remember what we said in our first session that Luther called the Psalter a kind of mini Bible containing all the themes of the whole of the scriptures. And as we think about the big Bible story, the timeline of salvation history, the full span of biblical theology, we are conscious that God's story with humanity is a universal story. That is, it starts with Adam and Eve and the creation in Genesis, and it goes all the way and ends in Revelation with every tribe and tongue and people and nation before the Lamb's throne of grace, and in Revelation 21 with the new heavens and the new earth. That is, the grand arc of biblical history is universal, It starts in creation and it ends with the new creation and all peoples. It embraces all peoples and all of the created order. It is the story of God with every person in the world, with every aspect of the created universe. So please make no mistake, it's not a small story. It's not just a story for uh, literate English speakers. It's certainly not just for Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek speakers, it's the ultimate universal story for the whole world. Some of us will remember there was John Piper in 1985 who reminded the church of the Westminster catechism or confession. Uh, the question was asked of the catechists or the neophyte Christians seeking to be instructed in the Christian faith. What is the chief end of man or woman or humanity, every human being? What is the chief end of every human being? The chief end of every human being is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, To which Piper in Desiring God in 1985, modified to the chief end of every human being is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. The chief end of every person is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. If you haven't read that classic, uh, please do. It's still got much to commend it to us. A glorifying God by enjoying him forever in creation and in revelation and in our relationship with him might be the subtitle to Psalm 96 this morning. For in this Psalm, we have a prototype of all the Hallelujah Psalms, all the Praise the Lord Psalms, concentrated, of course, right at the end of the Psalter, numbers 146 to 150, and all of the Psalms that call upon the congregation to praise God or to exalt God or to bless God. If you added up the number of times all those words or that idea occurs in the Psalter, you would end up with a number much larger than 150. For praising and glorifying God, happens throughout the Psalter and the Psalter it's the handbook of the church for prayer and for singing uh, basically says to us praise God glorify him and enjoy him forever I might take a step back see if that helps the squeaking speaker all right so to Psalm 96 a psalm of praise to God We're going to take this psalm in three parts. Please notice with me that there are three sections in this psalm, uh, each with a call to praise and then a reason for that praise. So first section, uh, first call to praise section verses 1 to 3, and then the reason in 4 to 6. Sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Uh, When we sing this psalm or songs like this psalm, we are calling to one another to praise the Lord, to exalt the Lord, to glorify the Lord. Notice the exuberant call to all the earth, everyone and everything, praise the Lord. Trees of the field, praise the Lord, rocks over the earth, Rise up and praise Him. Praise His name. And verse 2, proclaim His salvation day after day. That is, praise God not as the creator in this psalm. We do that in other psalms, number 8 and number 104. But in this psalm, praise Him as the Savior. Uh, Which makes the call to praise in verse 3 super interesting, doesn't it? For the original Hebrew congregation, to sing praises to God the Saviour among the nations. That is, God is the Saviour even among the Gentiles. He will do His marvelous deed of salvation beyond the people, the covenant people of God in the Old Testament, for all peoples. Now this was not an unusual thing for the Hebrews to be singing, it was not a novel idea because they recall God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 that he and his family would be a blessing to all the nations. Praise God who saves all peoples. And here's the reason to praise God, verse 4 to 6, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but God alone made the heavens. So we praise our saviour God, the one who saves the nations, because he is great. He is fundamentally and intrinsically great and worthy to be feared. That is, he is mighty and awesome in power. And for the Hebrews, they would recall his power quintessentially as they recalled the story of Exodus, his mighty deliverance of their nation from the powerful Egyptians. He proved then that the gods of the nations, even Pharaoh's Uh, magic makers, powerful as they might be. They were all but idols. The Lord alone created the heavens. Therefore, verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Then we come to the second section, the second section of call to praise and then the reason for the call to praise. Verse 7 to 10, ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Uh, To ascribe simply means to confirm, literally to put into writing and assign to the Lord. Here, the call is to all the families of the nations to confirm that the Lord is the one with glory and strength. It's just another way of saying all the other gods of all the nations are but idols. Let us confirm together that there is one Lord with glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, verse 8, the glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Now here in this verse, verse 8, is a hint that perhaps this, this psalm was used particularly as a call to worship in Jerusalem, sung as the faithful uh, gathered in Israel and come towards Jerusalem for one of their annual feasts of worship on the Temple Mount, perhaps sung to encourage worshippers as they brought their offerings for the annual Passover Feast or one of the great feasts of the Old Covenant. And they are singing to one another, ascribe to the Lord, keep coming, keep bringing your offerings as we come into the courts of praise in the Temple on Jerusalem. Uh, Incidentally, we've we've seen a hint of this already in verse 6 Uh, when the sanctuary is mentioned. Then the further call in verse 9, Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him, not just the people, but all the earth. All the earth tremble before God. That is, God is the Savior of all the nations, powerful and glorious and strong, and He's also splendiferous in His holiness. His purity and power causes us to tremble before Him like Isaiah and Ezekiel, trembled before the purity and power when they encountered just just a tiny glimpse of the presence of God in their visions. Uh, In one of the small groups yesterday, uh, it was mentioned that uh, young people these days, young people these days want to see God. You know, they want to know that God is real. How can he be just invisible? How do we know him just through his word? We want to see God. Uh, And I made the observation to that group. Well, if you read Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 1, 2, and 3, you might think twice about wanting God to show up in your living room. Uh, The reason uh, is that God is splendiferous in His holiness, mighty in His purity and power, awesome in the true meaning of that word. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. The call again and again in this psalm is, the Lord saves, he saves the nations, he rules over all the nations. Worship him, give him glory. The Lord reigns. He alone is king over the world. And then the reason in this section of call to praise is found just in the second half of verse 10. Why ascribe all this greatness and glory to God? The world is firmly established, It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Please notice here, salvation means judgment. The world being firmly established and immovable, it sounds a bit enigmatic. What does it have to do with God's reign, we might ask? Maybe the logic goes something like this. The psalmist here perhaps is asserting that God reigns among the nations He's the creator who has established, firmly established, the world, the fundamental structure of the world that he has made. Uh, He's constructed the world and rules over the world in such a way that despite the brokenness and the injustice of the world now, God is not unaware. He knows and he has determined a day of final salvation and judgment. So the world has been firmly established by God The pattern of how the world is progressing, of how history is progressing, has been established. It cannot be moved. But don't worry. God will judge the peoples with equity on a day that he has determined. Therefore, all the earth must tremble before him. All the nations, all the gods who offer a different world, a different worldview even, are going to be proven false. For God has established the world firmly. It will not be moved. The course of his history has been set. God will come and judge all with equity on that day. Finally, the third call to praise and the rationale from verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them, let all the trees of the forests Sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For, and here's the third reason to praise. Why praise? Why fields be jubilant? Why trees rise up in song? Why seas resound? Why heavens rejoice? Here's the reason. Because, for, He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples, all the peoples of the world in His faithfulness. I think we're beginning to get the message of Psalm 96, aren't we? In verse 11, all creation joins the praise, heavens, earth, sea, fields, everything in them, the trees of the forest, even the rocks. Why? Why? Because of judgment. Because God has promised a day when he will execute perfect justice in the world. That is a bit of an alien thought to many of us, I suspect. We're used to praising God because of his goodness to us, because of his love for us, because he forgives us. We're going to remember that in the Lord's Supper shortly. But we're not quite familiar with the idea of praising God because he will execute perfect justice for all the world. That thought ought to terrify us on one level, Because there is not one of us here today who could honestly, hand on heart, say that we could stand before the purity and power and holiness of God on that day of judgment. Except that we know that the Lord Jesus Christ has gone before us. And He has paid the price of justice on our behalf. And not just for you and I, but for the sins of the whole world. Can Can you just take a moment with me and imagine that Today, as we come to the Lord's Supper, what does it mean that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us? It means that he took on himself, on his body, on the cross, the full weight of all the ugliness and pain and sorrow and brokenness of sin. Not just yours and mine, but the sins of the whole world, of every human being broken, every broken aspect of creation for all time all focused on his body on the cross. No wonder then, God, who is holy, his Father, turned his face away. And no wonder then, Christ cried out in the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's an unimaginable weight and sentence to bear. We could not make a horror movie that would be anywhere near horrific enough to express what Jesus took on for us on the cross. But he did do it, dear brothers and sisters, and he did do it out of love for each and every one of us, and not only for us, but for every single person in this world who would call out on his name and trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins and brokennesses, for their deliverance, for the sure and certain judgment that is to come. So here again is the reason to praise. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. One of the small groups yesterday mentioned uh, John Chapman, uh, Chapo, that late great Australian larrikin evangelist. Uh, Chapo tells a story of being challenged by someone late in his life. Uh, the person said to, to Chapel, you know, you, you keep banging on about the gospel, and you've mentioned that your own father died, an unbeliever. Now, you're an evangelist, you, you spent your whole life doing this. One day you're gonna die, and according to you, you're gonna go to heaven, but your dad won't be there. How will you feel about that? And Chapel, I'll never forget his answer. Chapel says. On that day, standing before God who executes perfect justice, I will glorify and praise the Lord, and I will marvel at his perfect righteousness and justice. What an amazing thought. What an amazing uh, confidence in the perfect justice and righteousness of God. Let me draw some threads to an end as we uh, conclude our meditation on this psalm. I want to reflect briefly on four themes that emerge as we ponder God and our world. Four themes uh, to think about. Uh, First, universalism. This psalm in uh, verses 4 and 5 and the psalms, many, many of the psalms, force us to conclude that there is only one God who rules and reigns and who has history in the palm of his hand. He is to be feared. That is the beginning of wisdom. All the rest are idols. This is not a popular view in our world. As soon as we drive out of Luther Heights, we will enter a world that does not believe in that view. Everywhere in our culture, there is pressure to water down the uniqueness of Christ, the uniqueness of biblical faith, and to become a universalist like everyone else. You know, don't worry, be nice, do good, just try your best, and in the end, all roads lead to a happy place after we die. The Psalms and the Bible do not leave us that luxury. The Bible does not condone such a comfortable relationship with our contemporary culture. Beware universalism. Stand in the faith once delivered to the saints Jesus says trust in God trust also in me at the end of John's gospel beware universalism Uh, a second theme to ponder uh, individualism so much of our culture uh, is also individualistic uh, my kids are told just as i was told in school it's all up to you all up to you you can be whatever you want just work hard and you can do it but what we notice in the psalms is an insistence on the corporate version of worship and praise and relating to god in this psalm the call to worship is corporate in the plural in many other psalms there's a movement Uh, From the individual, especially the King David type Psalms, even David starts as an individual, but he moves to the corporate. Further, we notice that the content of the praise here in Psalm 96 is God. It is ascribed to the Lord, glory and strength. Uh, By contrast, so many of our contemporary songs, even in the evangelical church, have a focus on ourselves, on the individual, on how I feel or on the sentiments I bring to God, rather than the character that God is in the world. So please, beware individualism. Notice how the Psalms and the scriptures are much, much more often corporate than individual, for God created us for relationship, and He calls us into a body, His body, the Church, the body of Christ, to glorify Him and to praise Him forever together. team. Uh, Justice. We've noted in this psalm that the motivation for praise is justice and judgment, the final promise of God's perfect judgment over the brokenness of the world. Uh, Again, in small groups yesterday, I heard the phrase first world problems in one of the discussions. It sums it up perfectly, doesn't it? Where people are rich and have ease in life, which is basically Australia, Uh, there is often no cry for justice. And where there's no cry for justice, there's no reason to call on the God of justice. But if you have lived through a wall, a wall as uh, Bishop Daniel has, or if you've experienced real poverty, unemployment, losses and griefs at the hands of others, you will, mark my words, cry out for justice at every possible moment. Uh, At CMS, uh, our missionaries know this only too well. Uh, CMS is about soon to deploy workers to Madagascar, uh, one of the poorest and most destitute countries in the world. Uh, You know, in Madagascar, they they only get electricity between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. And when you only get electricity between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m., Lots of things don't happen in that cultural context during the day. You can't just plug into the internet and get your education. You can't. It's a completely different world. One of the local church leaders there speaking with us at CMS said, you poor Australians, I pity you. You have so much. How do your people ever come to God? How do you ever convince them that they need God's salvation? They need Jesus. Here for us, it's easy. We have nowhere to go except to Christ. Suffering has a way of growing the church and a longing for justice for all of our sisters and brothers all across the world is is part of the secret sauce for growing healthy churches here in plentiful Australia. That's why you ought to get more involved with CMS. All of you, sign up, get your missionaries' prayer points and pray for more missionaries. Be acquainted with their stories. It'll be so good for your awareness of what God is doing all around the world and for the God who is coming in judgment one day to make all wrong things right. Uh, Fourthly and finally, the theme of creation. We've noticed how the Psalm and the Psalms Seamlessly weave creation and justice together. It's not one or the other, but both together. For God who created all things is redeeming all things, is recreating all things for our good and for His glory. We have so much to learn from the Psalms in this regard, for our tendency is to separate those two things, isn't it? Is to separate creation and justice and not see the connection. We want to care for the environment and creation, but we also want to do it using biblical language and using the connections that the Bible makes between the environment and creation and justice, the Creator who is simultaneously holy and coming to judge one day. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying here that there's an important, significant thread in the Psalms that we have no liberty to separate and cut apart. Uh, Perhaps that's something your working group C environmental stewards could work on. Four themes, three sessions that we've had in the Psalms, I wish you a wonderful year in the Psalms ahead. As we have become accustomed to do, let's pray together now through Psalm 96 as we close. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, help us to sing a new song to you. Help us to sing with all the earth, praise to your name. Help all creation and us with it to proclaim your salvation day after day, to declare your glory amongst all the nations, your marvellous deeds among all the peoples. For great are you, Lord, and most worthy of praise. You alone are to be feared above all gods. All the gods of the nations are but idols, but you, Lord, made the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the sky, all that is beautiful in creation and in human life. Splendour and majesty are before you. Strength and glory are in your sanctuary. So we ascribe to you the glory and strength and honour and power and praise due your name and your name alone. Father, in our context, in contemporary Australia, strengthen our hearts and our mouths to say amongst the nations here, the Lord reigns. Your ordering of the world is firmly established, it cannot and it will not be moved. You are coming to judge all peoples with equity in perfect righteousness and faithfulness. So Lord, help us then to proclaim your saving grace found in the Lord Jesus alone to all the nations of the earth beginning right where we are. Take us to our front lines, Lord. Make us bold and give us hearts to praise you amongst the people you've set us. In so doing, may the words of this psalm come alive in our lives Heavenly Father we thank you so much for the glory of your word and the Psalms help us to drink deep from them in the season ahead may the words of our mouths and the meditation of all our hearts be fully acceptable to you O Lord our rock and our redeemer Lord Jesus Amen This has been a podcast from St Barts. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.